following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Account here with Mary, uh, we get this great picture of someone who is jubilant in worship. And, you know, Christmas is to be a time of joy. It is to be a time of celebrating. Um, the reality is uh, we don't always do it as well as we would like, right? Uh, we want to learn and know how to be good worshipers. And in this story, in this particular account, Mary and Elizabeth both really help us get a sense of what worship is. Um, worship is more than just having all the right decorations, right? Even though the 100-foot Christmas tree at the mall is impressive. Um, you know, even though we work hard at creating some of the nostalgia of Christmas's past, and that's not necessarily bad. Um, that's not where joy comes from. Everybody clear on that, right? Joy does not come from the right Christmas decorations or having the right arrangement of Christmas festivities, right? Our joy in Christmas comes from Christ, from worshiping Him, right? So we want to get some of the spirit of Christmas and we want to know how to worship and celebrate Him. And Mary's going to help us do that, I hope. Um, uh, she, she bursts out with this, this hymn of praise, this great hymn of celebration. Um, we don't know if it's quite as spontaneous as it comes off as, as Luke records the words. We don't know um, if her praise got converted into a hymn. We don't know. But she responded to what was happening in her life with joyous celebration and praise. Uh, so let's back up a little bit before we get to the hymn and see a little bit of the background of what's going on here. Uh, and it, this whole thing really begins with God's revelation. Uh, the beginning of worship, the beginning of, of celebrating anything in terms of God's saving work in our lives be, really begins with His revelation to us. And of course, for Mary, that began... Uh, as we looked last week, when the angel shows up and, and it makes this incredible announcement that you are going to have a child, you're about to conceive, uh, you're going to give birth to the Messiah, the King, and all this will come about purely by the power of God. Uh, you, will, you will conceive as a virgin, not through the normal means of conception. Now, uh, huge revelation, right? Put yourself in Mary's shoes. And uh, kind of like the song uh, puts us there as Mary's pondering all of this stuff. Uh, and the, the next verse in the story where we pick up is verse 39, and it says, A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. Um, it's easy to look over those words, uh, hurried. Uh, Mary rushes to see Elizabeth. Uh, that's significant, right? And again, put ourselves in Mary's shoes. Uh, you just find out that you are about to become pregnant, right? You are going to conceive a child. You're going to give birth. And this, per, this, this child is going to be none less than the promised king uh, of Israel, right? That's big news, all right? Big news on many levels. One, because you're pregnant, that's always big and joyful news. Secondly, because you got pregnant without the help of a man, 
That's like unheard of news, right? Thirdly, this child that you're going to bear is going to be the promised king of Israel who will reign and rule forever. He, news doesn't get bigger than that, right? Um, and, and the angel leaves and Mary's left standing alone contemplating this incredible news. Now with news like that, what do you want to do with news like that? You want to tell somebody, right? You want to share. This is huge news. Uh, when, when a couple uh, finds out they're pregnant, okay, that's news to share, right? You're going to give birth to Jesus, the Messiah, King of the world. Okay, that's something you got to talk about. But here's the problem. Um, she's not married. Okay, if there's one class of people who are pregnant and don't really want to talk about it right away, it's the unwed mother, right? And that's Mary. She's an unwed mother. So who is she going to tell this news to? I could just see this conversation going down with her mom. And we don't know if she told her mom or where her mom was at. Mom's not named in this. But I can just picture how this conversation would go. A mom? I'm pregnant. Mom panics. But you're not married yet. Yeah, I know, but don't worry because a man was not involved. Like this angel showed up and told me I'm pregnant. And not only that, but it's, it's the Messiah. Cool, huh? Okay, mom's like, okay, we need to like lock you up. Okay, the medicines aren't working anymore. Um, I, you know, I'm sure Mary's thinking, I can't talk with this about this with my mom, right? She's not going to understand this. There's Joseph, fiancé, right? We know that eventually she does tell Joseph. But likewise, I can just see this conversation going down with Joseph, kind of on the same plane. Yeah, I'm pregnant. But don't worry, it wasn't another guy. Well, and Joseph goes, well, I know it wasn't me, Right? So it has to be another guy. Well, no, actually it was an angel. I mean, not an angel, but, you know, he talked to me. He explained that the power of God was, okay, this is just going to go bad, right? Not only that, but at this point, this is all just uh, a word from God. She has no proof or evidence. Right, so who's she going to talk to? Well, the, re- the angel had revealed as a sign that this was all true, that, that her relative Elizabeth who was quite old, was going to be, uh, had conceived, was going to bear a child as well. Who can she talk to? Elizabeth, right? Elizabeth is the one person in the world that she can go to who may understand. And she's, I'm sure, thinking, if Gabriel talked to me, maybe he talked to Elizabeth. Maybe, maybe Elizabeth's been hanging out with angels. She'll understand, right? So she rushes uh, to go see Elizabeth's with, with this, this incredible news. Um, because she needs to talk about this, right? She needs to unload and process and share this incredible experience with someone. Um, so she rushes off. And uh, she's in Nazareth. Elizabeth would have lived somewhere actually in the region near, near Bethlehem, the Judean hills. We don't know the village isn't named. We don't know exactly where it was. But it would have been in the region or vicinity of, of Bethlehem, uh, and uh, it's about an 80 to 100 mile, 150 kilometer trek, right? So she's got a ways to go. I'm getting really weird feedback up here. Um, so it takes her about four days probably to get there. And as she goes, I'm sure more questions are coming up in her head and in her mind. Um, is, is Elizabeth going to believe this, right? Is she going to know? How am I going to explain to her? Uh, that I'm pregnant and that I'm still a virgin, right? Um, I don't think Mary ever doubted what God was doing in her life. 
But I'm sure there were questions about how this conversation would go down as well. Um, what does it all mean, right? Uh, she gets there, and, and notice the greeting she gets. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? Uh, when I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Um, <clears throat> what Mary finds when she arrives at Elizabeth's house is a house filled with a Christmas spirit. Right? Uh, she comes in the door. She, she greets Elizabeth. Uh, shalom, right? It's about all she gets out of her mouth. And Elizabeth explodes on her, right? And it says a couple of key things. It says, um, uh, first of all, that, uh, that Elizabeth gave a, a glad cry. A glad cry really sells short what she says here. Really what it says is she screams a loud scream, right? And uh, secondly, that she is filled with the Holy Spirit, um, the, uh, the glad cry is a cry of great excitement, right? Um, now, I don't actually relate to this very well because I don't ever scream about anything. In fact, I have a friend uh, here in Chiang Mai who was always harassing me. Tim, don't you ever get excited about anything? I go, well, I am excited. Can't you tell? No, right? Yeah, I just don't, I don't scream with excitement. When I'm really excited, it's like, cool. <laughs> that's, that's my personality, I'm sorry, I'm boring. And um, it's the way it is. Um, but we know those people who, when they get excited, scream. Right? We know people like that, right? Well, this is Elizabeth. Now, you can picture this 80-year-old lady, right, who Mary comes in the door and says to show me, she screams, ah! So I can't even do it for real. I mean, pretending, you know. It was louder than that. A loud scream, right? And... Uh, and she is filled with the Holy Spirit. So what begins to proceed from her mouth now, uh, we must understand, and, and John wants us to understand, that this is not just Elizabeth speaking. This is the Holy Spirit uh, giving further revelation to Mary. It's not new revelation. She doesn't add information to what Mary already knew. But it's, it's the confirming work of the Holy Spirit that, uh, that adds proof that confirms, that restates what Mary already knows to be true, right? Um, and, and not only Elizabeth is filled with this spirit, but the, the baby John is as well, six months old in the womb, right? And he leaps at the sound of Mary's voice. Right? Uh, I, I also can't relate to this one. I've never carried a baby, but those who do and who are and who have tell me that Babies can be quite active, and they do a lot of leaping, right? They do a lot of kicking you in the ribs and all that kind of stuff. Six months, they're, they're pretty active, right? And so here's John uh, at the sound of, of, of that voice leaping. And we know that babies quite young in the womb respond to the world around them, right? That they are aware of things in their world. Uh, out, well, not in their world, outside in the outside world, really. And... Uh, uh, John uh, senses something, and again, 
well, babies do know a lot and can hear voices. Uh, I'm, I'm not picturing that John actually knew, oh yeah, this would be Mary, you know, Jesus' mother, right? Probably not thinking those kind of thoughts. But again, Scripture tells us that John was also filled with the Holy Spirit from when? From his mother's womb, right? And something is happening in John uh, in the womb that the Holy Spirit is prompting him, right? And he leaps uh, in response to Mary's voice. Um, The Spirit of Christmas is the Holy Spirit. Uh, In this story, it's a great reminder that the Spirit is poured out as a witness to confirm and to reveal what God is doing. And Mary, as she walks in, first thing she is, she is hit with is this work of the Holy Spirit in the life of John and in the life of Elizabeth, confirming the revelation that she's already received. Uh, communicating, confirming truth to Mary. Uh, if we're going to worship God at Christmas, we need the light of the Holy Spirit shining in our life. Not necessarily to give us new revelation. And the reality is, if there's a story we've heard, probably more than any story in Scripture, it's the stories of Christmas, right? We know these stories. It's what every preacher dreads. Standing up and talking about to people about a story they've already heard a thousand times. What do you say that's new? Well, you, there's nothing new, but that's not what's needed. What's needed is the, the light of the Holy Spirit shining that truth on us, in us, revealing it and confirming it in new and deeper and more significant ways. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. So if we will worship Christ more at Christmas, we need more of the Holy Spirit. Um, and the Holy Spirit gives uh, Mary two gifts. One is a confirming word. Uh, and through Elizabeth, uh, this word is given. God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Right? Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? Now, here's the remarkable thing. You know, this is in a day where uh, Mary did not send, you know, an email to Elizabeth saying, hey, I'm on my way, I want to visit you, right? Didn't send a letter, didn't send a postcard. The postcard would have taken as long to get there as Mary took. Mary rushes. She would have beat the postcard, right? Um, She didn't call on her cell phone and say, hey, you know, are you home this week? I'd like to come visit, right? She just shows up. She shows up. And Elizabeth knows nothing. Mary thinks, right? And there's no reason that Elizabeth would know any of this information. And just imagine for Mary what this is like when you walk in the room and the first thing, Elizabeth, the first words out of her mouth is, you're pregnant and the child you are carrying is blessed. What honor is this that I should receive the mother of my Lord? Mary's going, there's one conversation I don't have to have. She already knows I'm pregnant, right? God revealed it to her, right? She knows this already. So there's this great confirming word. And not only that she is pregnant, but clearly that this child is very unique and very special. That it is the Lord. Why? What? I am so unworthy of this honor that the mother of my Lord would visit in my home. Right. So Elizabeth, in those few short words, proclaims and affirms that this truly is the Messiah. That this one who is born will be Lord over her and over Israel. Right. Uh, so Mary gets this great word of confirmation. 
But not only does she get a word of confirmation, she also gets a, a confirming sign. And again, Mary, uh, Elizabeth is, is filled with the Holy Spirit, and so Elizabeth now interprets what's happening inside her as John leaps at the sound of Mary's voice. And again, uh, not because she knows it from her own thinking, but as the Holy Spirit has revealed it to her, she says in verse 44, When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Okay, she knew about the leap. Uh, she adds to it that it wasn't just a leap, that it was a jump for joy. Right? That John, in the womb, rejoices in the only way he knows how, in, in that place and time, <laughs> he jumps for joy. Right? And Elizabeth says, this is a sign from God that the baby I am carrying is already confirming and bearing witness to the child you are carrying. What's really remarkable about, about these signs, both the confirmation in word and spirit, is that at this point, it's likely that, that Mary had, had just heard this word like within a week. Right? If it took her four days to travel there, uh, a couple days to get her thoughts sorted out, it's possible that she is talking to Elizabeth within a week of her conversation with Gabriel. What that means is that Mary herself would not know if she was pregnant yet. There's no way she could know that for sure. But Mary, uh, I'm sorry, Elizabeth and John confirmed that what she was hoping for has already happened. She is conceived and she is carrying this blessed child. Uh, Talk about confirmation. Talk about a revelation and a gift from God. That all these thoughts and things she's wondering about are right there before her. And confirmed in such incredibly positive Spirit-filled ways through Elizabeth. What a gift. Um, and, and just put yourself in her shoes, right? You, you are filled with a thousand questions, right? You are wondering what this all means. You're wondering, you believe it's true, but a part of you is going, well, maybe it's not as true as I think. When's this going to happen? How's this going to unfold? And instantly, you receive this confirming word that yes, God has done this. It's already started. It's going to unfold exactly as God has promised. You are blessed among women, and the child you are carrying is blessed. What do you do with that kind of word from the Holy Spirit? Well, Mary does uh, what I think any of us would do. She responds bursting out with praise, right? Her response is to cry out to God. Uh, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She worships God. Right? She doesn't just worship God because she thinks she's supposed to. It's like, hmm, this might be an appropriate place to sing a song. Right? I feel like I'm in a musical right now, and I'm going to burst out in song right now. No. She bursts out with song because it is welling up within her. In her soul and in her spirit, she is ignited with worship to God. Um, the two words that are used here, the one word magnificat, as we said, the first word it comes from the Greek word mega. And the idea of mega is, something is, is to make something great, to magnify it, to deem or declare it great, to esteem highly, to celebrate She says, my soul uh, wants to make great what God has done for me. 
I want to extol, I want to celebrate, I want to celebrate what God is doing in my life. I praise Him. Uh, she follows it up with, my spirit rejoices. It's interesting that word rejoice there uh, can mean to exalt, uh, to rejoice exceedingly, not to exalt, by the way, not to exalt, to exalt. Do you know the difference? I didn't know there was a difference, actually, until just recently. To exalt means to rejoice exceedingly in something. Exalting means to lift something up and make it great, but exalting is actually celebrating that thing. So if your favorite sports team wins the world championship and you celebrate that, you exult in that victory, right? Okay, she says, my, my soul exalts, my spirit exalts, it, it rejoices exceedingly. What's interesting is that's the exact same word that Elizabeth just used to describe what John did in the womb. He leaped for joy. He leaped exulting in this news, right? Uh, she responds to the glorious revelation of God with exceeding praise and worship. Uh, she exults in God. Um, she bursts out with it. You know, she is busting out in worship because she cannot help it. Uh, I really believe that this is this is really the heart of what worship is. Uh, we know we're supposed to worship God. But often it works, I think, for us like this. We see that worship is something we, we, we're supposed to do, so we go to church or we put on a CD, we're going to sing a worship song, and we're going to worship, right? God, you know, I, I know somehow you know, I'm supposed to do this, so I'm going, to, I'm going to worship you. And it's kind of a forced thing where we're going to tell God how good he is, right? Um, the reality is that just doesn't work very well. Now, it's not that we can't do that. It's not that there are some discipline where we do that, right? Where when we're down in the dumps and we're depressed and we're all focused on ourselves, that we we turn our eyes towards God and we, we praise Him. Um, but that's really not what worship is. Worship really is a, a response to having heard great news or met God in person, right? Uh, this was not forced on Mary's part. Right? She was responding to the revelation of God in her life. If you want to worship God more at Christmas time or any other time, the beginning point of that is to encounter God's fresh revelation through His Spirit in your life. If you don't feel like worshiping, uh, you should do it anyway. But maybe a better place to start is not to try to worship God, but to meet Him, right? To hear God speak to you His, His glory and His saving plan in a fresh new way in your life. To hear something directly from God um, because your soul is dry and empty, right? And when God does that, right, when God shows up in the midst of your dry and barren and thirsty soul and he speaks his word to you, not a generic word, but I mean he speaks to you, right? And he gives you specific words that meets right where you are. And you know it did not come from you. Uh, how do we respond to that? Wow. God visited me. I am so unworthy, but God showed up and he visited me. And that starts worship in our life. And if we do not respond with worship then, 
there's no hope for us, right? There's no hope. Uh, if Mary had turned around and said, well, that was nice, cool, yeah, that's nice. Okay, there's no hope for her ever worshiping God, right? When you get a word like that, but who would do that? Well, uh, I believe that's really where worship begins. And if we're going to worship God, we need that kind of work in our life. We need the Holy Spirit speaking to us directly, revealing, and again, not necessarily some new word, but taking what God has revealed in Scripture and bringing it to life in new ways in our life. Uh, well, you say, well, that's all well and good, but, you know, I'm just not seeing that happen for me, right? And, uh, you know, I read my Bible, but honestly, you know, it's like nothing's just jumping out at me. Well, I, uh, there, there's a lot of reasons for that. But uh, there's two things, two qualities in the life of both Mary and Elizabeth that may help us discover what we are missing in our life that's keeping us from really worshiping God. There may be more, but there's two things that they uh, display in this passage. So let's look at those briefly. The first one, both of these ladies really embrace genuine humility. Right? They both are... Um, coming before God as very empty vessels who see themselves in the lowest light. Right? Uh, they have, uh, or we could put it personally, I need to have a low view of me. Right? And this is really against human nature. Because no, no matter how much I pretend I want to be humble, no matter how much I try to have a low view of myself, the reality is, no matter how much I tell myself I'm a worm, I don't believe it. <laughs> I don't believe it. We tend to believe we're quite special. And no matter how insecure we are, no matter how uh, beat up we may be, there's something deep inside us that wants to raise ourselves up as something special. Right? Mary and Elizabeth both knew they were not. And it's interesting, in, in Mary's response, there are several key verses. She says, uh, let me look at verse 30, 43. Sorry, Elizabeth says, Why am I so honored? Uh, I am unworthy that the Lord should visit me. Picture of her humility. Verse 48, uh, um, Mary's, uh, Elizabeth says, For he took note of his lowly servant girl, speaking of Mary, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. Sorry, M Mary says that. Verse 52, again, Mary says, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and he has exalted those of humble estate. But most significantly is this, uh, in verse 51, it says this, God has shown his strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Here's what humility is not. Uh, it's an awkward phrase. It doesn't, uh, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. What does that mean? Well, it means this, this is what humility is not. It means what we think about ourselves in our heart is high, right? Is exaggerated, is superior. Now, most of us as good people who know this is not culturally acceptable to go around with your chest puffed out and boasting, don't really go around going, yeah, I'm the most greatest wonderful thing that ever walked on the planet of the earth. Aren't you glad you know me? Okay, most of us don't do that. And, and, and if you do, you have no friends, okay? Just, if you're really lonely, that's why. Right? Um, for us, it, it tends to go more like this, right? Uh, or, or it might go like this. 
we have thoughts like, I can do this, right? I can do this. I've, I've got this covered. I can take care of this. I can beat this on my own, right? I can do this. Um, especially those of us who come from more Western cultures have this great confidence about what we can do, right? The Bible would say that's thinking exaggerated thoughts about yourself in your heart, right? Um, Sure, you can do a lot of things. When it comes to spiritual things that matter, you cannot. Uh, Both Mary and Elizabeth were pregnant, Neither one of them would say, given their, each their circumstances, oh, I can do this. This getting pregnant thing's easy. Notice what, I can do this, right? Uh, Elizabeth was too old. Mary was too virgin, right? <laughs> Neither one of them are going, oh, yeah, I can do this. You make a baby? Yeah, by myself? Yeah, sure, got it. No, no sweat, right? They were lowly. They knew, I can't do this. If this is going to happen, it's going to be a work of God. That's humility, right? It's saying, I can't do this. There's no capacity in me. There's no power or ability in me that can pull off what I need to do to be right with God, to do and to live the life that God calls me to. We stand before God and say, God, I cannot do this. I cannot beat sin in my life. There are things tempting me. There are things that that drag me away from you, and I can't control those things. I can't defeat those things. On my own, I am in big trouble. I cannot save myself. I cannot fix myself. Okay, that's humility. I am nothing. I am empty. I am weak without you, right? Um, I I love what Elizabeth says. She says, I am... Uh, unworthy of a visit from my Lord. Um, and it's a great picture of what Christmas is. Uh, not only did, did Jesus pay a visit to, to Elizabeth on this day when she comes, when he comes with Mary, but it's a picture of what God himself is doing when Jesus came to earth. God came and he visited us. And not only in Jesus' life, but through his death and resurrection, he sent the Holy Spirit and God wants to visit you. Are you? Do you feel worthy of that visit? Um, there certainly is a place where God invites us to close, intimate, personal relationship with Him. Um, but there's a danger in in our thinking that we reduce Jesus to like our our, our good buddy, who's on somehow an equal with us, and that yeah, sure Jesus and I hang out all the time. It's no big deal, right? That would be pride, right? That is not humility. Um, There should be a sense of absolute unworthiness that the Holy Spirit would invade my life, right? Uh, As Isaiah, when he stood before the glory of God in the temple, said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am unworthy of this experience, this encounter, the holy and living God. That's humility. Um. We recognize our place. Right? We recognize our unworthiness. Uh, third thing, though, about humility is uh, it doesn't mean we go around talking about how we're just a worm and a wretch in the scum of the earth. Right? Some people think that humility is needing to prove to others that I'm a wretch and the scum of the earth. Right? 
You, you don't really need to prove that to other people. Okay? They, they already know that. Right? Uh, we need to prove it to ourselves. Right? We need to convince ourselves that it's true. You don't need to prove it to others. Right? And, and notice what Mary says. Okay? Mary, lowly, humble servant girl, knows she can't do this. Right? Verse 48, God took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. What a paradoxical statement there. I am lowly and nothing. I am a rock star. <laughs> right? I, I, just, I just went to the bestseller, all top, you know, I should be on the front cover of Time Magazine every year. I'm number one. Right? Sounds a little arrogant. But it's really not. Right? Because she's not saying I am anything special apart from the blessing of God in my life. She says, look, I, for all generations, people are going to look at me and, and, and stand somewhat in awe of me because of the favor of God in my life. Right? I got launched to the top. And sadly, in some places, a little over the top. You know, maybe she's given a little too much honor that I don't think she'd be comfortable with. Um, but the reason for it is not because of anything in herself. Only that she was the recipient of God's grace. Right? And humility is being bold about God's grace in our life. Right? It doesn't mean I'm a worm. It means I am a saint, but I am a saint by the work of God in my life, not by my own doing. Right? That's humility. Um, so, so Mary was confident about these things. and I, uh, Let me explain the word confident just a little bit. Um, she is confident... Uh, verse 45, you are blessed because you believe that the Lord would, would, would do what he said. Okay, Mary and Elizabeth both had a certain confidence about these, these truths based on God's promise, his revelation. They had faith. Okay, That's what I mean by confident. So she, she was um, confident in God. So she was humble. But there was a confidence about her life, and that confidence was in God. And we see that in two things, real quickly. First of all, um, she is confident in God's might. Uh, notice the, the, the words of might and power in her song. For the mighty one is holy. He has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent uh, the rich away with empty hands. Um, she's confident in God's might. God has the power and ability to do what he says. Um, Mary is a person that had clearly reflected and meditated on the character and nature of God. And she was confident in God's revelation because she knew something about God's being. And uh, we can't go through all this great stuff she says in this passage, but let me just pick out two things. One, uh, she talks about his holiness. And in this context, his holiness relates to his might this way. Uh, holiness can mean pure, without sin. But here I think she's talking about God's otherness. God is not part of the world that he created. He's outside of it. He's transcendent. Um, and as such, he's not in any way under the rules or laws of the world. God does not follow the laws of physics. 
Okay, we all, we all get and understand that. Uh, creation is somehow a part of him, but he is not a part of it. Uh, we're very grateful for our artists, Kennedy and Marie, that made these great paintings. And it's a great illustration of, of what it means to be transcendent. Okay? In this painting, the, the, the artist expresses something of themselves. You can say that there is certainly something of them in the painting, in their ideas and their thoughts, their choices of colors, um, their expression of their, their, their thoughts that they want to communicate, their feelings that they are trying to communicate with us, right? But we would never say that they're now part of what they painted, as in inside it, right? They exist totally separate from what they have made. The same is true of God. God has created this universe, but he is completely separate from it. Well, why is that important in his might? Well, for this. God is not limited by the laws of nature in the unfolding of his activity and his work. Okay? God doesn't say, well, I don't know how to make a virgin pregnant. You know, it's against biology. Right? God doesn't need biology. He doesn't need physics. He doesn't need chemistry. Right? He operates outside and beyond. So he is without limit in his power. Mary understood that. And so for her, for God to do this, did not create an intellectual problem for her, a dilemma. Right? She was smart enough to know that people who only see the world in terms of its physical realm aren't really that smart. There's more, and God is the more. Uh, secondly, uh, she talks about the, God will, will bless those who fear him. God's might, if we understand it, if we reflect it and uh, come to grips with it, should strike in us something of fear. And I think for a lot of us, I know for me, this is a hard concept. I don't feel that I fear God nearly enough, but we ought to. What, what is fear? Uh, well, fear ultimately is a sense of danger when we are in the presence of something powerful, and something with the potential to destroy us. Uh, have you ever stood uh, on the top of a, of a large cliff where you know you're just inches away from your own death, right? And um, add to that, that sheer drop-off a raging river that's, that's plummeting over the, the cliff and creating this huge waterfall. And you can just feel the roar of that water going over and the power of it, Right? And I, I can't, when I, whenever I'm standing at the waterfall like that, I just can't help but think about, you know, the seconds as you fall into the river and you, you know, are pushed towards that drop-off and you see yourself going over the edge, right? It's scary, right? Do you feel the fear of that? Well, you should, okay? You should. It's what keeps us behind the little metal barriers that they put up, right? And keeps us from doing really stupid things, Okay. There's a natural fear. It doesn't mean that the thing is bad. No, it just means that I have a healthy respect for what it can do. Um, and there, there is something that's somehow exhilarating about that as well. When Emma, my granddaughter, was really little, about three years old, uh, we had been given the set of 20 hours of steam engines. Just 20 hours of trains, Right? A lot of trains and these big steam engines. And Emma loved, I don't know why, she loved this video. And she would put it in the DVD player and she would turn it on. And then she would turn it up full volume. 
right? So that when these big steam engines would, would roar by, it would roar by and it would shake the house. And she was just terrified. She would shake with terror, right? And then laugh and giggle, right? And she'd want to play it again, like, because there was something about that interaction with that powerful force, right? Well, we interact with the ultimate force in the universe, right? God is a powerful force. He, he crushes rulers and the proud and the haughty, right? He can snuff out our life. Uh, he can do with us what he will. Um, I think we need to recapture some of that sense of fear, of standing before this God who is holy, who is mighty, who is dreadful in his being. Right? But of course, there's another side to it, and that is that they were also confident of God's mercy. Right? Without his mercy, we would be hopelessly lost before his terror. But praise God, there is mercy, right? For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous good things. He has exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich. Um, these things need to come together in our lives to really worship. We need a sense of our unworthiness and our lowliness before him, right? Um, if anything will kill the spirit of worship in us, it's, it's any hint of pride, of any hint of self, right? Of any hint of exaggerated ideas about who I am. So any worship we would recapture needs to begin there. Uh, but then it needs to look not only at who I am, but who God is. And we need to have and recapture a sense of God's wonder and awe and majesty, his raw, mighty power. Um, when you put those two things together, that I am totally unworthy and God is totally powerful, it should put in us a great spirit of dread and worry. But then there is grace, right? That God comes to us when we do not deserve it, when we are unworthy of it, and he visits us. He favors us with his kindness. We need, we need a greater sense and revelation that Jesus, who came and was born, is God's greatest gift of kindness to us. Uh, he humbled himself. As the song we sang a little earlier, he humbled himself to the grave for us, right? He loves us. And while we are not worthy, he floods us with his kindness. Right? May that uh, cause in us exceeding joy, right? That we with Mary would cry out, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Um, we're going to sing a song if the worship band will come now. Uh, just to start in that place of um, just humbling ourselves before God, right? 
making ourselves low before him. And then uh, Tom's going to come and pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.